Professor Maurizio Andolfi is a trained child psychiatrist and internationally renowned uh, master family therapist and winner of an American Association of Marital and Family Therapy Award for special contribution to marital and family therapy in 1999. In June 2016, Maurizio was recognised and awarded his lifetime achievement for the American Family Therapy Academy. Bit of background, in, in New York where you lived in the early 70s, uh, he worked extensively with disadvantaged families and during this time in the US, he worked with Salvador Mnuchin, Jay Haley, as well as studying with Carl Whitaker. He was Professor of Psychology in Rome and founding director of the Academia of Family Therapy in Rome, which he continues to direct. Maurizio has lived in Perth for nearly a decade, and my understanding is that you uh, travel pandemic aside between uh, multiple continents. He's published widely in English and other languages, and now through the academia has available a multimedia library of training videos and books. His most recent book published in English, Intergenerational Couple Therapy, I believe was published just this year in 2021. I have been fortunate to have studied under Maurizio a few times, both in Sydney, but first in Rome in 2002, where I was exposed to an intensive practicum titled Personal Self of the Therapist and Professional Handicaps. And I'd like to talk today about training therapists in the use of self, but firstly, your approach to working with families and also with working with couples. Did I miss anything, Maurizio, that you think that should be added to that list or correct anything? No, I think you, you <laughs> made sure you too many things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I had to cut out a lot. There was a long list there. So I am interested in talking about a few things with you today, uh, about working with families, about working with couples and about uh, the use of self and a, a bit of a focus on therapists. And maybe I might just start the ball rolling by beginning with a question of what got you interested in working with families and not just working with the child. Yeah, that was just my, my career that brought me there because I started, as you said, as a child psychiatrist and I felt very uncomfortable to be the expert of the on the child and to have mothers to wait in the waiting room. Mm. And of course, fathers were called peripheral. They were never there, they were absent. So I didn't like this. I love to do play therapy with children. Mm. I love to have this kind of special language with the child. But then I felt that I was stealing families, stealing children from their families. Because why I cannot invite the mother here? That mm. makes much more sense. And then why don't we invite the father as well? But then I learned that father are more complicated people. So I has to go through the child. I will mm. never ask the wife, why you don't ask your husband to come next time? Because she will start to complain and she's right in many ways. Mm. But if you ask to the child, What's about inviting your father? You know how to do that. So the child will do and the father will come. Mm. Then of course, the other point was, where are the siblings? And then I realized that the family is divided between health and pathology. Children who are fine, healthy, doing well, why are they to be invited? Because we had to work on the problem of the of the child who has difficulties, you know. With mm. So that's made me to think: Why has to work only on symptoms? Why has to look at children only from the perspective of their problems? Why I don't look for child as an entity, something complete, and that can also help me to understand his own family. So family therapy started from my deprivation as a child psychiatry in the Department of Child Psychiatry Rome, which eventually I left. Probably because of this reason, I didn't want to conform to a therapy in which I was the expert and I had to fix the child problem. Mm. So that was a very strong idea for me from the very beginning. I left the department, I brought the child with me. 
So the child has been accompanying me in this journey of more than 50 years. And I learned so much from the child. So that was the beginning, which of course was also very much coherent with the systemic theory that were just developing that years in US about the idea that you was to look at the totality, not just at the different part of the, of the family. And then of course I incorporated this idea. So why has to look only at one piece of the cake instead of having the cake, the full cake in front of me mm. and to work with the, the family as a unit, mm. which doesn't mean that always you can have the family in the room or not always is useful to have the family in the room, but it's useful that you're in your head, there is the family in the room. Do you see mm. the picture? Yep, yep. And you talk sometimes about um, working both metaphorically versus physically with different parts of the, the, the family system. So it doesn't necessarily always mean that you need to, as you say, have the family in the room, but that you hold it in mind and that you ask questions about, about yeah. these other parts. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy because if you say, if your father will be here, what will tell me about the situation? If your grandmother will be here, how should we describe the difficulty that your parents are passing through? Mm. And maybe some people who is dead too, you know, people who died, you know, and she will be alive or he will be alive, what we can tell. Oh, if you are, um, Sibi will be here, will be sitting in the room. Mm -hmm. So I make mm -hmm. very physical too, yeah. essence. So it's, it's the language. We, are, we have such an incredible variety of, of languaging and we are so limiting, limited through logical language. Yeah, yeah. We don't use much imagine, imagination, metaphor, symbolic language, as if language, then intergenerational language as well. You can ask to a child, you know, uh, nine years old, how was your dad when he was nine with, the, with his own family? So you, in a question, you already jump through generations. Mm. My thinking is that at times that then invites, if, 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 if a child says, I don't know, that might then invite a conversation between those in the room or outside of the room to go find out because that might be relevant history about how intergenerational kind of factors have influenced the, what is happening for that nine-year-old. Is that, is that correct? That's very correct. Even though I think when the child will say, I don't know, I was not born. I say, of course, well, you can imagine. Yeah. yeah. What's the idea? So I think imagination, as we said all the time, is a much more deeper level than just what about what is real, you know, what you can mm. imagine about the reality, you know. Mm. Mm. Then there is in curiosity in the parents because the father is waiting, oh, what is going to tell about? <laughs> there is the other point that you open up a conversation. One thing I found, very, very useful all over the world. Probably the only unifying element I found in family therapy, in people who work with family, is the use of family genograms. Mm. But the use of family genogram, I think, would be needed to be expanded to any professional. Any professional that work with individual as well will benefit by having like this map of the family to understand better the issue of the individual client that is in front of him or her. Mm. So <clears throat> the family genogram is really a multi-generational kind of desire, drawing. You know, you had to draw at least three generations, otherwise not a family genogram. Mm. In itself, introduce the idea of looking for family life cycle, you know, mm. how things pass from one generation to another. Mm. It's also very, very useful to do that with the help of children. 
sometimes we professionals think the family genogram is a tool of our as ourselves from our institution. We make very, very well done, like with the graphic, very yes. well organized, sometimes through the computer. But if you ask the child to draw the family genogram and maybe some family members helps, become like their family genogram, mm. which mm. makes much more sense because it's mm. their family genome, it's not our family genome. Mm. It's interesting you talk about that because sometimes there's a fear that by having a genogram on a whiteboard or on paper in front of the table and looking at it and there are crosses and that there's deaths that somehow we, we, we don't want to expose children to that. But what, what's your thinking around that and, and kind of the protection that family members sometimes get into around what's really the story of their family? You know, Marie Bowen wrote a very nice paper many, many years ago about children and the death in the family. And they just, it was just uh, outlining the fact that we are so protective about children. Mm that we don't even want them to come to the funeral, to be part of the process of that. Instead, they will study the you know, like children can choose the special object to put in the grave with their mother or father or their grandparent. Mm. So this brings a very huge issue about the difference between protecting children and respecting mm. children. Mm. So I learned through them that sometimes protection is not the best idea. Respect is more important than protection. Mm. If you respect, you also protect its integrity. You know? mm. So mm. the issue of that is so natural in, in our human condition, the children don't have to be deprived. And then we invent any sort of excuse when there is someone dying in the family, we have to send the kids back to some faraway mm. empty. And then before we disclose the truth, we have to spend the incredible uh, energies, you know, how we are going to return them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, but but it's part of it's part of our life. It's it's part of what we need to experience. We can't we can't escape it. Yeah, I remember when my first child was uh, three years old. My mother died. He was very fond of my mother. So then I told him about that. Then he opened the window. It was like in the evening. He said, "No, she's not there. She's in that star." Mm, mm, so, you mm. know. Kids are much more creative than us. For us, we are so much uh, concentrated as adults on the reality. You know, yeah. if you're dead, you are dead. But yeah. I can play with the dead. Mm. I can't mm. imagine other things that we are not, don't allow ourselves to imagine. Huh? It's interesting you say that talking about children because I, I know that you've written about using the child as the consultant a lot and not just in family work but I think also in couple work as well as a way of giving information about what is happening and and I don't think that we we give enough credit to that um, in, in the work that we do sometimes in therapy. You know, children can actually be used as a consultant to give resources to the process of therapy. Can you talk a little bit about, about what you mean when you talk about the child as a consultant? Of course, I like to, to, to talk about that because you know, if you think about any family in any part of the world, the children are their jewels. The things that make them to feel happy and smiling, you know, is mm. the best that they have. Even when they have been conflict in themselves as adults, still they honor the fact that the children is the best things of them. So why don't use that good, that fact that they are so important for adults? Mm. So I've been always using the children to allow others to be less arrogant or less polarized or less rigid you know, in their adult thinking. So the child is a facilitator, you know? 
Mm. But mm. we have a couple in crisis. We are very uh, upset with each other. First session, we ask, can I see the picture of your kids? Now, this is so simple. And as soon as they show the picture, they, they smile. They were angry face still one second before. Mm. That mm. doesn't mean that they produce the miracle, but <laughs> you introduce smiling. Why they are smiling now and not angry? Because you move from their world to their children. Mm -hmm. So I realized that in including children, especially in marital discourse, in the, in when, when there is, when adults are in crisis or when they are close to separate or after divorce, is so important. No? I often ask to children, which of your parents will need you more? Mm -hmm. Because you are going to suffer a lot about, you know, mm -hmm. who you think is going to, to survive better? Or which mm -hmm. the two will need you more? So I, in a way, it's almost like working on the other side. Normally we think to ask to the adults, how, how your child is going to suffer for your separation, which is true. The child will suffer a mm. lot. Mm. And we, the adult will start to say whatever. But if you ask to the child, it's so rich, you know? Mm. Mm. Uh, there is something that we don't realize well, that children are born with the sense of protection toward the parents as much as parents uh, are protected toward them. Absolutely. So it's a mutual kind of story. And you see that when you have a single mother, when you have someone who has a chronic disease, or someone who has recently died of a sudden death, or migration, any sort of cut off or difficult in the family, the child try always to help, might be in his own way, by caressing, kissing the parent, being close, you know? It's like the same thing that the pet do, you know? If you have a dog, the dog mm. will store us to use some harmony, you know? Kids are yeah. like, you know, they know how to, to make you to feel less sad or to feel less down. So I, I use that extensively. Then, of course, people say, but you, in this way, you expose them. And I always say, you know, if you have a war in a family and you have one hour a week, a child in the room, you think you are going to expose the child? Mm. You know, it was about the 23 hours left. Mm to be back in the world. So I try to be more realistic. Mm. If there are violence, difficulty in the families, you cannot deny that and protect the child. You have tried to see if something can change on the way. Mm. The child mm. can be a good facilitator, you know? Mm. It's, uh, can I extend on that? Because one of the things that I know of your work and that I've seen when I've been witnessed in your live sessions or in watching videos is that you you work towards making the implicit explicit meaning that exactly what you're describing there is that you you put it on the table as a way of beginning a conversation with the family or different parts of the system about what is really happening and I recall a video once of seeing, um, I think it might have been in Belgium, might have been in Holland, where you used um, uh, two doll's houses and you invited the child to look at the houses and talk about the two houses. And I think what really strikes me in your work is that you're not afraid to safely talk about what is really happening within a family. You, 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 you uncover it and then you talk with the family about the pain, but then work with them to, to how to resolve, re resolve sadness, resolve grief, resolve what they're experiencing. Am I right in kind of that interpretation? Yeah, it's almost like I'm a, I'm a speaker. I'm a, mm. 
I, I don't know, like when you have music, you have two speaker, you the music become louder. Yeah. I'm, I play like a speaker, meaning I try to amplify in the room mm. and mm. to give language to what is already there. Mm. In that sense, you introduce authenticity because mm. people often lie or they try to cover up things, you know? Mm. So instead, if you give space to what is real, even though it might be painful or might be hard for everybody, kids, adolescents, adults as well, but this is what's about. Then of course, it's important that you are not afraid because one of the major problems for the therapy, when they are very protective towards children, adolescents or people, is not so sure that they protect them. They protect themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what happened often with the suicidal adolescents, you know, and the institutions. The institution doesn't really, is so interested to, to save the child's life. Of course, in theory, this is what they want to do, but they want to protect themselves first. Mm. So the professional mm. start to do any sort of maneuver in order, because also you are afraid if the child will die, you might be co-responsible co- of uh, they will mm. be practice. Mm. But then this fear of malpractice will make you really to do malpractice. Mm, yeah, yeah. Become you become too rigid, too anxious to, yeah. to 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 really work with with what you talk about, which is the emotion. What what is really happening? Yeah. This is uh, introduce another point because nobody of us is uh, perfect. Nobody of us uh, is uh, able not to be anxious about a situation in which there are risk taking things. Mm. Then mm. comes the most important things. Who is the therapist? Mm. What was the therapist made of? You know, when mm. we perform this role, when when I say, when you say or I say that I try to expand the issue, you know, to give words to the problem. Uh, that that's require a level of harmony inside myself, a calmness, a sense of humor too. Mm. They can introduce things. Otherwise, you cannot do that through anxiety. Therapy mm-hmm. says to learn to look at themselves first and to know how they are functioning. Now, that's a big step. It's often not taught in undergraduate or even postgraduate training at times about. Uh, it's very, it's very other oriented in terms of technique and strategies in how to work with presenting problems, uh, diagnostic classifications, which I understand is 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 necessary and can be very helpful. But if we just segue slightly to to understanding self of the therapist and how you can use yourself, can you maybe talk a little bit about how? how therapists can do this? What, what, what are the steps to becoming more aware um, of self in practice? You know, this part to make aware the field of psychotherapy about the need to train deeply therapy has been much more difficult than to convince family that family therapy is a good tool for their yeah. For their kids is much more difficult because to challenge the system where therapists are trained like they are not really computers but they have protocols, uh. strategies, the theories that guide uh. them. You know, uh. if they don't have that, they don't know who they are. It's almost like this is their guns. If uh. they have this gun, they are naked, they are, they are powerless. So the point how we can introduce in the field of psychotherapy or counseling, the idea that the first things we have to do is to train well 
people that put their hands in human conditions, in human difficulty. I think this is an ethical point of view as well. Mm. Mm. Unfortunately, there is some kind of discrepancy between the magnitude of the problem that come to us. We don't deal with just small school issues, you know, mm. with any sort of abuse, any sort mm. of violence, craziness, um, fear, so die, you know. If you think about the lesson today, you know, there are continuous challenges. Many mm. So I think how you go with that, unless you have been able to do a lot of work on yourself. There is one very common thing is that therapists project a lot of the unfinished business mm. of client. So how you, how you help them to understand that they are reacting, you know, emotionally, because something is coming from his or her side, from his inner family, let's say, hmm. as the family in front of you. You know, psychoanalysts needed many, many years to understand that contra-transference was important as much as transference. Hmm. They start with the rule of abstinence, neutrality, I don't have to bring the picture, anything that is about me. Then they rely on the control transferring, which is the emotional reaction of the analyst, are important as much as what people transfer on us. Mm. I think in some ways similar when you work with family or with client from another perspective, that is important to understand the Bahama home emotional reaction. And sometimes, if we know how to control them, to fit mm. them, we can utilize in therapy. You know, one very important thing is self-disclosure. You know, when therapists mm. can disclose something personally about themselves, but you can do that only if you are aware about what belongs to you, what belongs to the family. Mm. And you have a clear sense of boundary between these two parts. You them. So I think today, more or less in many countries, I think in a way Anglo country seems to be the one more in danger because in the Anglo country, this kind of idea of personal training has been substituted with evaluation, with evidence base, hmm. with um, diagnosis, uh, the SM5 kind of syndrome. You know, everything is written there, it's the Bible. So you follow the Bible and you cannot be wrong. Mm. Mm. This is very wrong mm. because you, you, you are not just uh, following rules. You are entering in a very deep connection with a specific client or with a specific family. You know? Mm. Mm. I know you talk about, um, I think you call it the internal supervisor and having the internal supervisor can sometimes help you to think about exactly what you're describing there, about knowing what belongs to you and what belongs to the client. And if it does belong to you, how can you, can, can you use that experience to help the client? Maybe not directly use your experience, but how can you use what you know about yourself and how and what you have learned in helping the client. So, so when you talk about the internal supervisor, what, what do you actually mean by that and how can it be used? Yeah, I think this is a long journey. Before people can rely on an inner supervisor, they have to be mm. careful to find very good life supervisor. So <laughs> uh, you know, and supervisor that can really, again, will be able to enter in a deep conversation with the supervisee because mm. it's the same thing that you do in therapy. Is the supervisor just an extractor, mm. like a swimming extractor, car extractor, then you, you don't really develop much of the other aspect, which mm. is your humanity, your capacity to utilize your human side, your authenticity, mm. your humor, you are, you, are, you are a resource, a personal resource. So 
you have to look for good supervisors who are able really to enter in a deep, uh, growing relationship with you. Mm. Then after some year, because you cannot, you can start to think about after some years, you can really start to do some a change, which moving from a real supervisor to feel that you can supervise yourself. Mm. It means how to create a dialogue with yourself while you are dialogue mm. with the family or with mm. the but mm -hmm. that is also based on some important element, like for example, silence or pauses mm. are more important than talking, talking, talking all the time. Yeah. You know, therapists get very anxious if there is a silence. They cannot tolerate silence. So they immediately to do something active. Yeah. Silence is so important. And mm. the pause also, when you speak too fast, no? you can mm. create some pause. Mm. This is good for you and for them. I found a trick for myself, because it's not so easy, this kind of idea of uh, inner superpower. My trick is to have a toy in my hands. Mm. Even mm. now, yeah. I yeah. have a toy yeah. in my hand. Why? Because if I have something in my hand, it's almost like I'm, I, 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 I have a security plug. I have something that I'm connected with, which means the toy is in my hand, is connecting me, my body with my hand while I talk with you. Hmm. So I know that I responding to you, but at the same time, I'm in connection with myself. Hmm. And sometimes I look to my toys, I don't look to the people in front of me in order to create a discontinuity, you know? Mm, mm. I remember once I have a toy where you build up as a magnet, you build up people, you know? Yes, like, yes. So I, I use them and I have an angry couple in front of me. I say, can you stop to, talk, to play with your toy and listen to us? <laughs> say, of course, I stop to, talk, to, to play when you start to say something. <laughs> something meaningful. So toy can be also, and then sometimes I give a toy. You, if you have a mother always talk all the time, doesn't allow like mm. the, husband, the other member to, mm. I say, lady, can I give you the toy? Can you play with the toy five minutes so I can listen to the other people in the room? So in a way you are making that person to stop talking. Yeah my resent but if i give you my toy you might be less resentful because i'm giving something to me to you for a while so you have to use it then you can give to the toys to the kids you know? yeah yeah something that creates connections you know? it's it's interesting because i always thought that the toys in your hand was an opportunity to use for for engagement for for the client not necessarily also for yourself so it's interesting you say that because as you say if you if you've got something and you're focusing or or you have that in your hands and you're using that it does slow down the process of therapy and i think that that's a really important point because particularly as you know here within australia which is not uncommon around the world People get paid by a particular time. You know, 50 minutes, for example, is our is our standard time. And there's a there's pressure in that time to get as many words in, to get worksheets across uh, homework set. And and it's interesting that you say that silence is just as important, or maybe sometimes even more important than the words, because when there is silence, people could possibly be thinking and processing what is actually being spoken about or what they're doing in the room. Uh, it's a little bit in contrast with the pressure that we have about timing. Mm. So everything is to be super fast here. Yeah. Mm. Mm. One mother that brought to me three or four adolescents, they would never been in the same room in the house. So they came, they were in the same room. Mm. They were doing great. And she couldn't believe that. At the phone meeting, she sent to me an email and she said, you know, I think next meeting will be our wrap-up meeting. I, I, I couldn't understand. 
you know, worry has to be the last media if just the beginning of something, because people don't tolerate to stay too long. And mm. So you have to develop miracles in a very short. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a big challenge for the therapist. Of course, in a way, if you have limited time, you have to do your best in a limited time. Mm. You have to do your best. You have to, to have something to give. Yeah. If you're too young or too empty or too technique oriented, there is not much you can give, you know? So mm. more, if you do brief therapy, you cannot be a brief therapist. You have to be a very large therapy, which means with a lot of expertise. Absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, it doesn't give much, you know? Yeah, yeah. One more question before we, we move on to maybe talking a little bit about working with couples. If I just sit with the use of self a little bit more, what recommendations would you give to early career practitioners in the field about how they might move into thinking about creating uh, clear emotional boundaries within the therapeutic context and, and getting to know self better because it's not our practice typically within Australia, for example, for therapists to undergo their own therapy, such as is in psychodynamics. So uh, certainly I undertook your, your training of the use of self and professional handicaps. And I recall that I really disliked the term professional handicaps when I did that training. And it took me a number of years to really understand, you know, it was kind of like a light bulb moment after the training. And maybe when I came back and did further training in the meta, meta practicums, what that, how it really sunk in for me, but you know, that there's not a lot of that training around. There's some training, but not a lot, but what, what advice can you give therapists? Well, the advice that I give, to move from this description of client as this from a distance mm. to, to feed the client from closeness. Okay. How you do that? One good tool is to move from language to movement, to action. Mm. For example, and this is you can do also with young therapy. You say, instead of talking about that adolescent who is uh, at risk, high risk, um, and all the description of what's going on with that person, with the family, I say, why you don't sculpt this guy, this adolescent? Why you don't put yourself in elite sculpture? Which means, yeah. why you don't impersonate? Why you don't represent, of course, not in front of them, eh? in your supervision, for example, why you don't put yourself in that person, you know, for a few minutes. And when people, professional, experience to be that guy hmm. and to give a, to do a posture, to give a look, to give a body language, you know, hmm. then they come out with a totally different understanding. So I think description is the best way to keep distance. Mm. If you all you can say, sit in the chair of John. John is this 16 years old uh, adolescent high risk. Stay in the chair and feel John. You know, try to enter in that path. So I think there are different ways, but all with the same goal to make you to get close to that pain, to that difficulties, to that risk. And of course, by not be real, because it's a symbolic exercise, the therapist doesn't have to pass to a big risk. You, know? you don't have to do in the session. Yeah. You can yeah. do it there they might have a totally different understanding. I remember a therapist used to be diabetic children as a major work. And uh, she will say, oh, this mother is impossible. This mother is impossible. You know, about all the uh, rules, all the medical procedure. So she was having very negative 
connection with this woman. I said, you are a mother. She said, yes. Now you are this woman. Think mm. about her with two, they have been mm. them. Be there for a few minutes. Mm. She came out from this short experience transformed because for the first time, she was not talking about this mother, but she was that mother. Mm. Mm. So this is what I love of therapy, the possibility mm. to move from description to mm. a, experiencing something, to mm. a good experience. Mm. Mm. If, uh, if young therapists start to, to do that, to have that, I think they transform themselves and they look for other clues, you know? It's a lovely description that you give about about the process and and that's something for for supervisors to consider as well inviting the supervisees to think about that um, yeah, that would be great i have to ask you a question and i don't know whether you want to incorporate this into uh thinking about uh your work with couples but one of the things that influenced me uh, over the years is your use of maps and culture, where people come from. And I've seen you use it uh, in actual globes and asking people where they come from and describing it and, and connecting them back to their roots. And I've seen you uh, do it through an atlas and I've even seen you do it in people pictures for example people bringing in photos can you talk a little bit about what has influenced you to to use this as an intervention and how you can use it as a way of understanding clients better uh, and as an intervention I guess the way which I started was very clear I was based on my migration process. You know? When I moved to US, when I was 30 years old, I moved in New York, it was so violent, you know? incredibly violent. And I work in the South Bronx with black and Puerto Rican kids. Okay. I start to understand about violence, about understand about violence and how minority groups are living in a violent context and how difficult it is for them to survive. I work with Minushin, the golden period of family therapy in Philadelphia, when the Chai-Gales clinic was mm. in the middle of the ghetto area. No taxi will bring you to the, where the Chai, the Chai clinic was, because Philadelphia was divided with South Street, mm. with the boundary between Paradise and Ham. So this cab will stop you in South Street. And you have to do by 10, 11 blocks. And I was afraid, you know, because of course I'm white, I was a foreigner. Mm -hmm. But then I start to understand many, many things about cultural diversity, cultural mm -hmm. domination, cultural mar marginalization. Then of course, for many years, as you probably know, I work in row with the foundation, mm -hmm. my brother name on migration, refugees, homeless people. So I develop a great attention to the deprivation of your cultural identity. And how it's important to keep your own personal identity. And then also how in people who are multicultural, how the different identity are conflict one with the other. Mm. How you try to find a way to create an harmony about different uh, dimension of your own personal identity. Now, in Australia, which one one of the most multicultural country in the world, it's so funny because therapists don't use that too much. Uh, and they found, oh, why you don't use something that open up incredible door of understanding or understanding about cutoff, or about mm. pain, about hope, about discrimination. Mm. So, and I and I said, you know, in family therapy, geography is a subject that has to be compulsory, more yeah. important than other kinds of things. And then I start to use my tools. Tools are the map of the world, mm. 
geography anytime I want to enter in that country, in that place. Can I tell you a little example? Yes, please. I, this is still in my mind. I always use, try to have a diary, even though it's not easy in Australia, to have a diary which at the end there is a map of the world. Mm. And I have one that was like, you can open, you know, a mm. map, the map, you know, at the end. I've still got, got one, I use it. <laughs> so anyhow, I, I'm supposed to in Paris to see a family and the description of the family is that there is a very tough, angry man, very authoritarian, wife, three guys, and they hate him. They cannot stand this man. So when I enter in the room, this man is one side, all the other women are packed on the other side. And there is such a kind of very tough atmosphere. So what to do? So then I move close to this man. I open up this, this diary. I open up this map, even though you go very large, but the countries are very small. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, as you probably know, in France, there are many Algerian people who moved in France. Mm. So he's from Algeria. And so I opened the map and I showed to him, I said, this is Algeria. It was like three millimeters, five millimeters thing, to know very small. And they gave him a pencil and they said, can you show me exactly where you come from, the village where you were born? Mm. He changed his face, you never expected, you know, it's like, he's the bad guy that someone come and get attention to him. Then he stayed long time with this pencil to show me and to pinpoint where he was born in mm. the desert and in the inside of the camp. And it was such an incredible experience for me too. How you can spend time to be so nice mm. to have. This is the power. Of mm. your culture, what you yeah. know, also what you, and especially the curiosity that you mm. might have can open up incredible doors. Well, it shows respect, doesn't yeah. it? When you when you are interested in someone's history, you're seeing them um, not as the problem. You're 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 seeing them as as a person, and you're interested in them, and you're describing this person who was so intrigued and and respected by you asking about these questions. Yeah. Uh, you can do that in a short time, you know. Mm, yeah. Then of course you have, you have to not to use this as a, a journey maneuver. You have to really use as a real curiosity, mm. and mm. I, and by traveling all over the world, by traveling all over the world, also symbolically with all this kind of map, I've been enriching myself incredibly. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I always tell therapists, go back to Turkey, go back to here and there, to Morocco, with this family. And there, at the beginning, they don't understand. Then I try to make more clear, make a visit. Mm. How you make home visit, but also enter in their life, you know? Mm. Mm. To we generally tend to stay very much fixed in our own world. Absolutely. Australians, you are Australia. People have to come to you. Mm. You don't think it's important that you move there too as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really touching story. And it's certainly my introduction to the use of maps very early on really transformed my way of thinking about how to get people's history and to be, as you I, I really like the word curious that you keep on bringing up because... Uh, we need to be curious in the client's story in really in, in order to understand what's brought them here. Can I maybe just shift to the last kind of topic that I'd like to raise is uh, working with couples. 
Um, and it's, a, it's an area that I think many people stay clear of because it can be quite challenging, quite emotive. Can you describe uh, your approach to working with couples? Because it's a little bit different from just seeing the two people in the room. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how you work with couples? Yeah, first of all, I have to tell you that I work with couple the other way around for years, hmm. which means I've been the third party in the couple discourse on the couple conference for a number of years before I realized that was too limiting. Hmm. Because I was able to understand that I was strangulated in their relationship. They always like me to take side, you know, mm. which is very normal. Mm. People want you to feel for them. And if you feel, or if you buy the story one, you are getting close to that one, and you are mm. getting more distant from the other one. So it's always this kind of game of putting mm. yourself in somewhere and not in the middle of being polarized. No? And in a way, I, th I thought, of course, they pay me, they triangulate less their children, mm. so why not? But then I, I start to develop all my ideas about multi-generational family therapy. I said, let me try the other way around. I started with what has been developing the field much before I enter especially one person, unfortunately has been not honored as much as he needed or deserved, was Jim Fremo. Hmm. Jim Fremo that I know very much personally was when I was in Philadelphia, number year. I've been seeing working with uh, the same idea of Bowen, hmm. who had the family of origin in the picture. So I start, he started to see, and I was watching well, how to invite family of origin or one of the other partner. And I realized how difficult it is for a person in their 40 to ask help to mm. eat her own fox to come once for a session. Mm. Mm. So then I learned that side. And I, I think I did a little bit different from Jim Fremont because Jim Fremo used to do that individual session with the family of origin of one of the two partners without the other spouse, without the without mm. partner in the room. Mm. Say that when you have this session, it's better to stay with them, you know, the intact family, you know, because the people might be freer, they might be more mm. calm in the description of their family development, which is true. But I found that instead of being the bridge between the experience of one partner and the other, I want them to share the experience. Mm. Because it's this experience of being scared. People are scared or feel shame to have to invite their parents to ask help when you are, especially in Australia, for a person in the 40 to ask help. It's almost like going against the mythology Mm. You have mm. to make by yourself to you know in life. So I, I thought to invite both of them, and uh, one brings a family of origin, the other one doesn't interfere, but participate in the session, listen, is an observer. And by being an observer, I understand many, many things about the partner. Mm where many of the difficulties of the path can come from. So this was my way. Then of course, to the years I said, my wife don't move to the other side as well. Right mm. in children, because children are so much part of the picture. Now for parents to, to accept the invitation of children is less painful than for that asking their fox. Mm. But sometimes, especially if they are already manipulated their children, they might refuse because, you know, they don't want to expose their yeah. kind of tricks, you know, to someone else. Yes. But generally speaking, they like to bring the children. 
and the atmosphere they say should become comp completely different. You expect to most uh, children, most the children from parents who are father all the time, sometimes these kids are fantastic. You know? mm. So you go beyond prejudice. And then you start to ask the children not to talk about marital issues, but to talk about more about them as parents and to start to see what they like of them, and then to explore about the, the, their family of origin. So tell me about your grandma, your grandfather, here and there. Yeah. That sometime I also ask, I don't ask them to get in the, in the problem, but I do the school the other way around, which means I take a blackboard, a ball, I asked to the child, now today you were oh, one or two, how many there are? Three. Uh, you, today you give grace to your parents. <laughs> of, uh, we always give grace to kids. So we give grace. You and I, I divide grace as parents mm. and grace as spouses. Mm. So we cannot forget the kids know and watch carefully. Mm how we relate as spouses as well as parents, you know? Mm. So they start to give the grades and the parents is like they are waiting. <laughs> Never in their life they have this experience. The kids are, are always very nice. They don't do in a nasty way. They know how to say things, but also to say things in a way in which people don't feel put down. Then yeah. I say, okay, this is the first semester, so they can they can do better. Do you have any suggestion that you can give to them? It's unbelievable how kids can give suggestions to parents. I remember once two brothers, more brothers were very manipulated in the conflict. They say, you know, you don't have to say bad things about the they lost, you know, the family of origin, the other one. Mm. You don't have to, to say bad words to each other in front of us. You know? They were able to identify some of the main issues that were increasing yeah. in the film. And then you might say, okay, maybe three months from now, I ask you, you back you, you to come back for a follow-up session. Maybe you can give us something more. So kids can tell you a lot of things. So, so that becomes an intervention. So what you're saying is that by going across the, the generations to the family of origin and learning about each partner's kind of history, that gives news of difference, that, that can create a different perspective. And then working with the children, that becomes an intervention as well. You know, first semester, well, let's come back second semester and see what changes they've been able to make. That, that actually is a resource. That's a, another example of how you use resources in therapy. Absolutely, yes. Because especially with children, things are to be concrete. You cannot mm. have to philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. To, to do some task, you know, yeah. to, to yeah. make in charge. And the kids love that, you know. It's like educating parents mm. to be better parents and better spouses. Mm. And kids, if you allow them to have a voice, they can tell us incredible good things. But what I have learnt from our conversation today, Maurizio, is the importance of allowing a voice in therapy by listening to what is being spoken. Uh, you, you talk about uh, curiosity, you talk about emotion, you talk about sort of connection and respecting people in the room. That then becomes often the intervention, that, that information that you gather through that conversation therapeutically across the, I think you sometimes have called it the three floors, the three generations really gives more of a picture of what is really happening. Because often when you see a referral, you only get a tiny bit of the story. You get the problem behavior, but there's a whole, a whole story behind that, that from, as you describe it, from the bottom up and from the top down, and, and you work with that. 
And also there is another aspect that I found very important in therapy is the social side. Mm. For example, when a couple is in crisis, they don't talk with their mothers or fathers, mm. they mm. talk with their friends. Mm. Friends are the best listener, the people yeah. they look for advice. So if friends are so important in our life, why we cannot invite friends in the mm. session too? Mm. And then you understand so many things about friendship, about friends can, like children, can give good advice to you that you can utilize with a specific person or with a specific couple. And you also know that when people are happy together, they have common friends. Mm. They are in a war, this is my friend. <laughs> so I like also to invite, bringing you a best friend, mm. with your friend, mm. and mm. the other one too. So mm. they, they come, of course, to protect their friend, but because they are good friend, they can also give some good ideas how things can change in the dynamics. In uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and that's a radical intervention because it's, it's not part of what we're trained to do, to, to move outwards, to be exploratory, to go beyond the presenting problem. So I'm really intrigued and interested in, in, in hearing that from you. And it's probably a good segue for, for me to move into before we finish up in talking about the resources that you have made available because through the academia, and I'll provide a link after this recording that is then available, you have a multimedia library with a whole lot of examples of how you've uh, demonstrated these skills in action with real families. Uh, so there's a whole number of videos that people can access, but also some lecture series as well in the use of self, uh, different therapeutic uh, the masters, uh, uh, the giants, I think it is, uh, that there are some fantastic resources, plus a number of your books that have both older books and most more recent books that you have written with working with teens, intergenerational um, couple therapy, and they're all available through the multimedia library. Is that correct, Maurizio? Yeah, that's correct. That's, I would like to say one word, not too much about my video, which uh, you can find easily in yeah. the catalog and yeah. they cover many, many different subjects. My, about the fact that I learned by watching masters mm. action and I learned by seeing them in conference bringing real family. And mm. I probably one of the few left who still, if you invite me to Sydney, I'd say, okay, you saw me there doing that. Mm -hmm. Give me the possibility to see one or two families in consultation. Mm -hmm. I always do them. So mm -hmm. if it's between psychodynamic therapies and family therapies was also about one way mirror, the possibility and mm -hmm. to watch and to do consultation on the spot to see real people. Mm -hmm. It's so different than just mm -hmm in PowerPoint, you know? Absolutely. So I wanted to leave something and I still, we are still producing new videos. Eh? So because the people can, through images, mm. also through creative lecture, because lecture can be also very boring. So as you saw, probably saw, I use object things. Yeah. To, mm. Because they remain, they remain much more vivid in the memory. That's right. We encourage people to say there is also a video that talks about my life too, as well. Yes, yes, the school of life. Uh, okay. Each time I each time I show it, there are always tears in the room. So uh, uh, it's a, it's a brilliant video, and um, I, I might take you up on that invitation post um, pandemic. Uh, um, after you get to visit Rome, of course. Uh, <laughs> So look, I've, I've really enjoyed um, our talk today and I'm so appreciative that you've given your time today to share your insight, your knowledge. And I know that my work and my thinking around both how I work as a therapist and the way that I work both in practice, 
um, and in supervision has really been transformed by being taught by you. So, so thank you very much for today. And I uh, have really enjoyed being here today in this spot with you talking. So thank you, Maurizio. Thank you, it was a great pleasure to be with you, Christine. Fantastic, thank you.